Hey guys, welcome to the Jesus Name News Podcast. I'm Larry and I got Derek here with me and we welcome you to episode three of our second season and we're just psyched to be with you. We're excited that you are listening to us and we are excited about what we're going to talk about today. Um, the last couple of weeks, if you've been listening, if you haven't, go back and listen. They're good episodes. Listen to the whole things, I promise. They're good. And we've been talking about creation. We've been talking about Genesis. We've been talking about the beginning of everything. And we've talked about how God is ultimately responsible for everything, no matter how we look at it. And that the ultimate truth of these passages is just that God is responsible. Um, And that there's issues when we try to force his responsibility into a box that says that God had to have done it this way because that fits what this you know, 3000 year old document says, right. And so this week we're going to get a little deeper into that and that we're going to talk about the creation of humans specifically and the garden of Eden and, and what that means and how we get there. Yeah. So like, like you said, like this week, uh, we kind of touched on it last week with evolution. And uh, I mentioned last week at the end of the episode that we would be taking a deeper dive with evolution uh so first of all guys like my stated purpose for this is to not i'm not trying to disprove the bible um when i present the argument for evolution i'm not saying that i believe evolution or anything of the sort i am just simply presenting the argument for evolution and I promise we are both Bible-believing Christians who fully affirm that God is the creator of everything. Yes. Like, <laughs> but, but in order to understand and in order to have an actual opinion on something, you have to actually properly understand what that thing is. Otherwise, you're, you're just wasting air. Yeah. And without further ado, I mean, let's get into this. I mean... Yeah. First of all, there are two competing ideologies, obviously, in the world. Creation of humans or evolution of humans, or as it's known in the zoology and biology world, human evolution. Uh, in regards to the creation of man, there is the scientific explanation of evolution, and uh, the evidence at times can be compelling in the least right i mean simply put human evolution is the process by which human beings developed on earth from now extinct primates uh zoologically we humans as we are today are homo sapiens uh, a culture bearing upright walking species that lives on the ground and very likely first evolved in africa roughly three hundred to fifteen thousand years ago I really love how we say culture bearing, like that's a thing that we've, we've observed otherwise in existence. Like um, we're the only ones, like, I mean, I get that we made space for like the Klingons and science fiction and stuff. in some of these theories and some of these ideas, like not on purpose, but just because you have to leave room for the existence of others Right. in order for it to be science but like it just always makes me laugh when you see something that's like sciencey and it's like a culture bearing upright walking species and i'm like wait a second what other culture bearing species is there that this is a this is actually like a category well i think i think it's because we're one of the only categories left <laughs> yeah it's like it's like saying a uh I don't know, like they're capable of reading and writing. Well, but we're the only ones that do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who else is? I mean, but yeah, yeah. It's just, it's funny. Like it, I get why it's there. I, it just, it, it always, the, that always makes me laugh just because a, it's cool to like, think about. I mean, there's a reason science fiction is so popular, but like, you know, continue. Sorry. Yeah. He's, he's definitely on a sci-fi kick right now. So, uh, but zoologist, would group modern humans in with the human tribe and i say that loosely human tribe of hominins uh and that there were predecessors uh to the modern day human like 
Artipithecus and Australopithecus. I'm very familiar with Australopithecus. Uh, just to name a couple, though. Zoologists also agree that modern humans likely lived alongside Neanderthals. And we see today we share the Earth with apes. Uh, so it's pretty common in science to believe that, you know, we lived alongside possibly other humanoid species. Uh, however, the exact nature of human evolution has never been nailed down like we talked about last week. They disagree. It's always been a subject of debate since Charles Darwin published his book, The Descent of Man, in, in uh, sorry, not 1971, 1871. It should be noted that Darwin never claimed that humans were descended from apes, at least in the modern sense. And to make that sort of simplification for most scientists and zoologists and the sort is useless because it's just not true. And it does not serve creationists to make such a simplification because it shows lack of familiarity with the opposing argument. Yeah, and what good is it to make an argument against something when you show that you don't understand what the argument that you're arguing against is? Nothing debunks your argument like you not knowing the other argument. Exactly. So most, most human evolution theories heavily rely on fossil records, and we talked about that last week, and scientific, which is the key word here, hypotheses. <laughs> Seriously, do the research on human evolution at Britannica.com. Just to recap, scientific yeah. hypotheses have to be falsifiable. They literally exist for the purpose of explaining how to falsify them and then challenging everyone on Earth to prove them wrong. Yeah. Uh, in the very least, this is fascinating. Like, yeah, it doesn't, And again, like I said at the beginning of the episode, this doesn't mean that I believe... I, I've watched a lot of science-y shows growing up as a child, and I was very interested in this sort of stuff, and my parents were okay with it. So I... Yeah, that's something I'm struggling with, because we're homeschooling, and like, I, I, I don't want to just tell my kid, like, Young Earth Creation... But I also don't want to just like get a bunch of like secular stuff that like totally discounts the Bible and is like whatever. And so like trying to find a balance and how to like explain science and like how to have her watch stuff like every time she watches Dinosaur Train, there's a little part of me that that still holds on to the 16 year old young earth creationist me that winces. Yeah, I, I had Bill Nye the science guy. So <laughs> I mean, the the difference in how I guess even I grew up would be that I, you know, in the '90s and early 2000s, you're 16 and I am like eight. <laughs> so, oh yeah, I mean, the the big difference between our growing up is about you know the 10 to 15 year age difference, and um, you grew up in a related denomination that did not preach against television sets existing. True. Whereas I joined a denomination at about 10 years old that did at the True. time. It, so so, and so but, I had a lot of awkwardness related to that as well. So, yeah, I mean, like uh, when I present these things, I'm comfortable with them, though. That's, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm comfortable with these ideas because, first of all, I, I commend my parents, who I'm sure are going to listen to this, for... <laughs> for letting for exposing me at least to some of these arguments and letting me hear them because I feel like I'm a better Christian because I know these arguments. And the other side of that though, is guys go do the research for yourself. It's, it's at least fascinating to see and think about. So and please research for yourself, not YouTube guys, not just YouTube. Like, yeah. like, like, no, no. Yeah, I mean, but when you consider that these fossil ancestors are estimated to have lived 11.6, as early as 11.6 million years ago, I mean, that's truly astounding to think about. Yeah. If you, if you ascribe to this. So 
either way, that's truly astounding to think about. 11.6 million years ago, our humanoid species started coming about, at least in the scientific world, in the scientific idea of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other side is this argument of creationism and God's direct involvement in man's existence. And that brings me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so just real quick, because we're going to get into some uh, good theology here, which is always a fun time. But I just want to point out that, like, the thing to me that I find interesting about this is that these are not necessarily contradictory ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Just before like we get into some of the theology of what some of this means is that, and what I'm saying is that the fossil ancestors and the fossils of these human-like creatures and all of this stuff it's possible for that to have happened and God to still had direct involvement in the existence of what we call the species of man right. of homo sapiens. Right. It's possible for both of those things to coexist. Like we have not just now presented two contradictory ideas. They're possibly contradictory, but they're not absolutely contradictory. So don't, I guess what I'm saying is be careful to not get the idea that all of these ideas are directly contradictory because they're not all absolutely contradictory to each other. It's only contradictory if you interpret things in certain ways. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the difference in raising, you know, I was a very curious child. I loved dinosaurs. I mean, Jurassic Park was literally my childhood. So, like, I loved science growing up. Like, it genuinely interested me. And as a young child, trying to marry those two things with, you know, my belief in God and also knowing some sort of science as a kid, that was, that was some intense stuff going on in, like, a nine-year-old's head. Like, yeah, but again... Just I mean, just imagine the level of deconstruction that as kids were, because I love dinosaurs too. And like, I remember playing like, you know, I had like a dinosaur video game of like, it was like an old, like Windows 95 level game of like, you know, you go and you study dinosaur fossils and like all this stuff. And like, I liked it because dinosaurs were awesome, but like. It also made me feel kind of weird and dirty because, like, that isn't four billion years old. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, and so, like, there was that, like, conflicting stuff. And, like, I was not at a place that I could deal with that. And because it was it when I was a kid, it was so absolute. Yeah. That in the circles I was in and the places I was that like young earth creation was a thing God created in six exact days and evolution is completely false. And it's just a lie. Like it was so absolute that those things were that like, I had this struggle of like, these things are cool, but like everything's telling me that they're not even real. Yeah. And but they are real. Like, where did we find them? How did we find them? And then you get into all kinds of like, you branch into all kinds of craziness to try to justify it. Yeah. 
And and I, I'm glad that we're on this path because we're going to talk about verse 26, which is yes. making man in the image of God. So <laughs> there are a lot of ways that you can interpret this. Uh, first of all, it can be a physical man. Uh, first of all, image here uh, often refers to a shade or a phantom that is figuratively illusion, resemblance, hits a representative figure, uh, especially an idol. So usually when we see this word image, it's in reference to an idol or a representative figure. Uh, in this sense, it's referring to, in verse 26, a representative figure, meaning that man... Representing God's authority? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Okay. Yeah. So there are a few ideas of what make man in our image means, though. You can go with one, a literal image, a physical image of God. You can go with two, consciousness, reasoning, what makes humans humans, basically. Yeah. Uh, And three, a representative of God on earth with a purpose to spread and show his love and worship through man. I feel like the first one is one where a lot of people get into, like, they get into, like, it. I feel like it's more popular than it should be like that. We're just like literally a physical image of God. And it gets into some really weird theology, like Jesus pre-existing as a man. And yeah. that like God created us to look like him. And he like de-aged himself into a baby to insert himself in Mary's womb. And just like people don't realize the weirdness and the like bad theology of some of those ideas and where it, very it's not even really a slippery slope it's like it's like a, a slippery divot into yeah. some really bad stuff because you're already so far down the slippery slope that like you just need a divot to get all the way down in it right it, <laughs> and that's why to me the third one makes the most sense you know the representative figure of god on earth yeah uh, because for a physical image this word used for image it also refers to idols, which the idolaters believe the image made of wood or stone or however they made it was the embodiment of that God. So using it to mean a physical image, humans weren't meant to be the embodiment of God on earth. Consciousness, reasoning, you know, what makes humans humans makes no sense to me personally, uh, because we're not the only creatures that exhibit those things. Animals. How recent is that knowledge? I wonder, though. It's very recent. I mean, I mean it's very. I mean, I want to. I mean, not that people didn't kind of imagine like talking animals and stuff, but like, I feel like when like to use an example that is well known, like when C.S. Lewis wrote Narnia, no one had an idea that you could actually teach a chimp how to use sign language and say words and make sentences. And yeah, I mean that. Up until the 70s, we didn't necessarily believe that babies felt pain. So if oh. that puts you into perspective where science was. Well, I mean, if we want to go there, we could talk about some stuff from like the 1800s. It's even worse. Yeah. And, and that's why like, I want to make sure that we hit on that because animals from chimps to dogs exhibit these things. Yeah. It, I mean, it's often to a much lesser degree, but we have now like like i believe it was a couple years ago chimps entering the stone age they're using stone tools to help them complete tasks uh and just because we don't understand their language doesn't mean they don't have one right and i know that sounds crazy but animals communicate with each other that's been proven uh animals have the ability to care i mean just go love on your dog for a second or a cat or whatever they have the ability to love i mean the way that my dog loves my child is amazing like i i I couldn't ask for a better dog make decision they they have the ability to make decisions and determinations about the world around them and the creatures around them i mean elephants for example are capable of recognizing the bones of members of their group and they will literally mourn and cry for that member. So yes. the fact 
so using this image as consciousness and reasoning and rationality, animals do that too. That doesn't make us like we do it to a much higher degree often, but that doesn't make us exponentially special. Well, yeah. And if you use it to represent that we're an image of God because of that, then you'd have to say that they're also an image of God because they do it to a lesser degree. And that lesser degree is still an image of God's consciousness and his ability to reason, which right. is the problem with that theory. Right. And third, a representative of God on earth. To me, this I've said this one makes the most sense to me, because when we couple this idea with the directive given by God in verses 27 through 30, which is to like have, have yeah, rule over the earth, subdue it, take care of it. It makes the most sense. And the thing that separates humans from animals is our ability to commune with our creator and spread his love and care and worship God and take care of the earth and make sure that life continues. Yeah. I mean, you know, that, that makes me think that we should really do an episode on climate change and uh, dominion. Yeah. There's a we really want to get in trouble with our audience. Yeah. <laughs> so, so from that though, I mean, that, those are the three things that you can get from the image of God. But again, that third one, that directive from God yeah. to love and to take care of and subdue and have dominion over and, and work the land like that is quite literally what I, I believe God is representing here because God is a is a God of order. He's not you know when we talked about creation we talked about how form and void that often means chaotic. God stepped in and put order to it, right? That's what I believe was God's intention for image of man. We come and we create order. And so that moves us to Genesis chapter two, where we can kind of see that evidence. Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two and verse four says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field yet had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed man of dust from the ground. He and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul or creature, depending on how you interpret that Hebrew word. So when we look at the order of creation in Genesis 1, Plants and animals are created before humans, right? Genesis 2 says plants and animals were created after humans. Or does it? Because Genesis 1 is describing overall vegetation, right? But Genesis 2 specifically says there was no man to work the ground, implying that these plants, these bushes and shrubs were, were to be cultivated. They were a cultivated plant, not a wild plant it was a plant meant for farming so there's so, also this quick question oh history teacher do we have records of the the domestication of some of the more popular plants like do we have like any kind of explicit record of like when humans started planting corn I don't think we do. I mean, we have ideas of like the, it, this culture was the one to do it first, but we don't have any writings of like, I discovered this wild plant and found that if I planted it in the ground this way, it would grow even better. I mean, there, there was, but like, they're usually guesstimations. Yeah. They're yeah. just guesses. Like we're, we don't actually have like a, an act like we don't have any knowledge of when any of that actually happened because so it's entirely possible that the idea of cultivation was something directly god given well the the idea of cultivation bred culture yeah i mean cultivation of ground enabled humans to stay in one place long enough to 
have to work together and division of labor and all those things. It, that's a whole nother episode, but I was just curious, like, cause I can't think of any, but I know, you know, yeah, you know uh, again, talk to the ex- expert. Yeah. At best, I believe there's just guesstimations, uh, yeah. but okay. then you have this common phrase uh, that's used throughout Genesis. Uh, and that is, these are the generations of, and then fill in the blank. And it goes on to detail what happened after that generation. Like the, like it says, these are the generations of Terah. These are the generations of uh, Adam. Like, And then it goes on to explain what happened after. So there, traditionally, where Genesis 2 creation's account is a detailed retelling of uh, the sixth day of creation. That's traditionally what people think. Then there's also that day six was when God created humans and chose them to bear his image on earth as his representative. And Adam and Eve are either created by God or elected by God to live and maintain the garden. Those are the, those are the two most popular diverging Philo- philosophical theories I'll, I'll say it that way or theological theories uh, so here's the thing with that second one though and this is me kind of picking of picking it apart this involves adam being a sort of priest king right uh for instance the words for work and take care of are off that are in the hebrew they are those words are often used in reference to priestly duties uh, this would make the garden the first temple on earth. Uh, and then you have that. This is all about bringing order. Going back to that idea of order and uh, creation. As seen when Adam is given power to name animals, right? Uh, Genesis. And then you have this other theory that Genesis 1 is a priestly retelling of creation and Genesis 2 is a layman's version of creation. Uh, this is just simply based on critical analysis of Hebrew literature. Ooh. We're going to talk about the four. No, no, not the time. Okay. That's, Another episode. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going, but not the time. Uh, not today, guys, but we'll talk about it because it's interesting. Yeah. So Genesis 2 is allegorical. Uh, this is the fourth one. Uh, Genesis 2 is allegorical or possibly metaphorical, and Adam and Eve are real, but represent God's designed order, meaning it's not necessarily meant to be taken for a scientific explanation, but more of an example of relationships and order on earth. Uh, Meaning first, and this is explained in Paul, Paul explains this, God is the head of man, man is the head of woman. And then you have woman under, you know, under the woman is children and then animals, plants, all sorts of stuff. Right. Uh, that's the fourth one. But like, like I said, when, when I think about the one that I would probably most subscribe to, it's gotta be honestly that Amits of the first one and the second one, to be honest. And- yeah, I mean, my thing is, is that it's pretty. So my 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 qu- issues with like some of the traditional readings of this is that it's very clear that later on, when Cain falls, that there's other people. And that there's not just other people, but there's other people who won't explicitly know who Cain is. Right. And because the thing is, is God wouldn't have to mark Cain if there were only Adam's other kids and his other grandkids. I mean, like, I mean, how many generations down the line do we think this has gotten that they don't even know who Cain is? Right. You know, I mean, like, even if Adam and Eve were popping out kids every nine months for 200 years by that point. And everybody who was an adult was also having a kid every nine months in pairs. I mean, you're talking about what? 500 people. Yeah. Like it just, 
it doesn't make sense that there would be people who didn't know who Kane was unless there was a population of people that were not descendants of Adam and Eve. Right. And, you know, there are a number of scholars and theologians and very famous preachers that subscribe that the Garden of Eden is a top and shadow of the temple. Right. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that believe that. Yeah. And so I guess my point is, is that I don't know how this works necessarily. If we're going to give our uh, play our cards, I'll play my cards. (laughs) I think Adam and Eve are real. I think they're uh, yeah. people. I think that they are of a major significance and importance. But I think that as much as you know, I think the New Testament writer says like Adam was the first man and stuff like that. I well, I think that is sort of the case. It's clear that there's more going on than Adam and Eve are the only people in existence when they get kicked out of the garden. Yeah, I mean that muddies all of this up. And I don't know how, I don't know what the explanation for any of that is, but again, it gets to a point, a place where we have to be careful that our theological ideas are not held to when they're things that are not explicitly told to us. Right. Yeah. The God, uh, a lot of people put God in the gaps and, you know, sometimes that's, not necessarily a good thing to do. Uh, So moving on though, I mean, uh, and this is where I kind of get into the order side of things. Genesis chapter two and verse 18 through 25 says, then the Lord God said, it is not that is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him or suitable for him. Uh, Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the name, the man called every living thing that was its name. Notice that first of all, the man is not named yet. And the word man here is the word Adma, which is just a longer version of Adam. It, Means and it's the same word. Basically, well, Adam is kind of a shortened version of Adma. Okay. Uh, if you look at the Hebrew, they look very similar, and then but it's Adam. Adam is shortened just a little bit. Uh, so Adam though means ground or ruddy red. Like it, there's a lot of things that you could look into Adma with, uh, but. Verse 20 is where Adam is named after he names the creatures. So the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it's longer the man, it's Adam. There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now it goes back to the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then said man, then the man said, this is this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So so this is where we learn that males have less ribs than females, right? I mean... Because that's what I was taught. I was taught that too. It's That men actually have one less rib than females? Yeah, it's definitely false. Um, well, yeah, I know that's definitely false. Like, I, I can't believe that it was even said when I was a kid. I mean, we had x-rays, guys. We had x-rays <laughs> for like literally 100 years. I mean, not only that, but we had like remains of dead people for thousands of years. And yet when I was a kid, I specifically remember it being a very popular and widely repeated theory that men had one less rib than all women because of the story in Genesis. And, and I bring that up to bring point out that like, this is why we're doing this Yeah, because we, it's so easy for things that are not true to get spread that 
it literally takes two minutes to verify that that's not true. Yeah. And nobody takes the five minutes to do it because it agrees with what they already thought. Yeah. And, and it's confirmation you know, bias. And, and I'm glad we're on the subject of rib because it says God causes this deep sleep to fall on Adam and takes a rib sort of. <laughs> In the Hebrew, <laughs> in the Hebrew, the word is actually Selah. And according to the Strong's, is typically used to describe the entire side of something. Uh, for instance, like the entire side of a hill or the entire side of a chamber or a house or the entire wing of a building. Uh, so in so, Hebrew, it's more like God split them in half. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So either way, God makes it clear, though, that the work that needs to be done in the garden is not complete until a woman is introduced into the garden. So verse 24 further emphasizes that man is incomplete without woman. And this is what I believe God was emphasizing to Adam. Uh, Now, some go as far to as saying that this deep sleep is referencing a trance-like state uh, where prophets would receive visions. Uh, Job even references visions or dreams of the night happening during this deep sleep. The Hebrew word there is tardema. And, and it's used, that's the word that's used in Genesis 2, and it's also used in Job when he says it. It's also used in five other places And pretty much all times, God is causing this deep sleep to fall upon. Uh, You know, it happens to Saul and his men in uh, 1 Samuel 26, I believe. Uh, It happens again, I believe, uh, with um, Jacob in the latter, Genesis 33. Uh, So this word occurs over and over again, connected divisions in some sort of way, but Either way, in this vision, people say God showed Adam his body, uh, but it was halved. And what God was telling Adam was that he is incomplete without woman or Eve. Uh, Now, this does fit nicely with the last portion of Genesis 2. However, this is not biblical, uh, in my opinion, at least. Because the other occurrences typically refer to just sleeping, a deep sleep. Yeah. Um, It does, the whole half thing does kind of make sense too, though, because like, let's be real here. Okay. Adam's in the garden, male and female existed. Okay. Because obviously God didn't create female woman, but like all the animals had females. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, logically, it makes sense to think that woman was there. But if they were naked and unaware of anything that had that that would signify. Right. Right. It almost makes sense that God had to be like, hey, dude. You need her. Yeah, because without sex. There can be no there. There isn't really that strong pull to go and pair up. I mean, if sex isn't a thing, then pairing up doesn't, isn't necessary. Right. Right. So like, it makes sense that God would in the context of what's happening here, where Adam's naming all these animals, but you know, sex hasn't entered their relationship in any way that God would have to be like, dude, go talk to her. (laughs) like cosmic matchmaker here like do you know what i'm saying like it it makes sense in the context of the story and and well it 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 also it's a struggle of mine that people have used that whole rib thing in very misogynistic ways you know like as we were doing this like there were like six or seven different points that had to bite my tongue in different ways from making like awful jokes that i know are awful yeah, like they kind of make me laugh and they make me laugh because they're so awful that I, I justify thinking them in the moment by this makes people who actually think this is real look really stupid. Yeah, 
and- you know, like, and, and so like, but, but I know that it's been used in that way. And, but if you look at it as side and not rib, which, you know, again, it sounds like it's only a problem in English. Yeah. <laughs> it, it great. It changes it so much. It also messes with some of the mythology that people talk about. Well, um, like the idea of like Lilith being originally created and rejected and all of that stuff that becomes completely unnecessary if God creating females of every species by species by first doing it with man and pulling Adam's rib out. Right. And, you know, most I've heard those misogynistic views, but the one that I've probably most prefer is you know he took it from the rib which is the side which is under the arm meaning it protection but that she is equal yeah and to me like this feeds in if you know anything about hebrew poetry and hebrew uh the literature this feeds into hebrew literature perfectly this is exactly what hebrew literature would say and this is exactly how Hebrew literature would convey that woman is needed. See, some of this is making me think that we just need to have like a new convert class in Hebrew poetry to explain like how it functions and why. Yeah. Well, and and it would fix like so many of these questionable things and these confusions that we have. Yeah. And honestly, like if you think of it as poetry and that doesn't mean that it's not literal. First of all, that doesn't mean that it's not God didn't take part of Adam and create Eve. That that doesn't make that any less true. But the fact that you can kind of couple this idea with poetry and think about man is only half himself without woman. And in order to be complete, he has to have that woman. Yeah, but it's also hard to like the thing is, is taking it literally is weird. Well, demanding that it has to be taken exactly literally is weird. When a few verses later is the first instance of God saying that a married couple become one flesh upon marriage. And and clearly there's some kind of metaphor capable of happening in this passage. So to just completely discount the possibility of a metaphor violates the fact that there is a metaphor at the end of it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, like I said, I think it could be literal and metaphorical at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we use metaphors all the time when we're talking about things literally. Yeah. And you know, that, this but it does form the theology for marriage yeah. and you know multiplying the earth and you know all that uh, either way though like god creates adam but and kind of jumping back a little bit to verse 15 the lord god took the man put him in the garden of eden to work it and to keep it which again and those hebrew words are used uh, in direct reference to priestly duties. Uh, verse 16 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So upon Adam's creation, I want to talk about dust for a second. So upon Adam's creation, and I know I didn't read this, but he's created from dust right and the reason i'm starting this is because like that that's kind of where i'm heading uh genesis 3 19 first of all says you know after the fall he says you are god tells adam you are dust and to dust you shall return because dust has always been used to signify the mortality of humans so now jumping forward back to the verses I read notice that the tree of life was not forbidden to Adam and only the tree of knowledge was forbidden. I don't know how you grew up, Larry, but typically like I never thought about it until literally when I was making this episode, I never thought about it, but God didn't forbid the tree of life. No. 
And well, and and one of the things about heaven is that it's stated that access to the tree of life will be restored. Exactly. And, you know, Adam's seemingly infinite life was not something that was built within human biology because he was dust. He was mortal. He, okay, I'd never thought of that. Exactly. <laughs> I never considered that. Like that, 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 okay, so the tree of life is explicitly stated as being a thing that extends human life because human life is not extended infinitely naturally. Yeah, it's, it's not in human biology, and it's God directly states it. You are dust, and to dust you shall return, indicating that the only reason that Adam could live multiple generations is the tree of life. So, like, okay, so, again, going off on <clears throat> Larry making crazy theological theories that are in no way doctrinal, and please please do not kick me out of any church for saying these things because I'm just going with it. So God creates everything, right? God creates everything and creates his garden and puts Adam and Eve in it. He creates man. And then he just lets nature go outside of the garden for who knows how long. Okay. Okay. Some of these creatures obviously have some kind of access to things like the tree of life themselves. And it creates all kinds of craziness. But but do they? Because it well, says... What kind of tree is this that nobody else can touch it? Well, it says well, in Genesis 2... A tree, that- I guess, is the other question. Like, But I guess, okay, my point is, is that maybe the explanation for how Homo sapiens appeared has to do with God kicking Adam out of the garden. And releasing mankind that had had access to the tree of life and no longer does. And now we have culture. Yeah. But I mean, that was, that was the weird thing I was going on. And then I got sidetracked by other weird things that again, like if you're not careful how you literally or figuratively take some of this stuff, you're just going to end up in weirdness. Well, here, here's the thing, though. The tree of life, that access to the tree of life was not sustained by human, you know, like I said, human biology did not have within it to sustain infinite life. Yeah. It was sustained by God's favor on Adam and Eve. Yeah. And to me, that that is beautiful, theologically, poetically, all sorts of ways. Because the tree of life is only cut off from Adam and Eve, and God places an angel with a sword, uh, a flaming sword at that. Uh, he only cuts them off after they dis- disobey and go after the tree of knowledge. So therefore, death, that being cut off from the tree of life, death is a direct result of man's sin. And, be, and you know, people will say, well, it was a spiritual death. Yes, it was that eternal separation from God, but it was also a physical death. They no longer had access to the thing that made them if that made them immortal. Yeah. So now we kind of take this further step forward to the Apostle Paul. And he takes very great care in First Corinthians 15 to draw upon these exact themes. Uh, verse 42 says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. So if the spirit lives forever, and and it goes on to live eternally with God, and the first of that which is natural, that implies that 
the natural life was infinite because of the tree of life. And Jesus being that last Adam, the life-giving spirit, now gives us access to eternal life through his spirit. Obviously. But but it is not the spiritual that is first, but that but the natural and then the spiritual. Uh, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust, a mortal man. The second man is from heaven. As was the as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust, which is man. And as is the man in heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. So it's kind of creating this dichotomy between, you know, we living on earth and setting your mind on things which are above. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, again, our mortal body, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. So that corruptible man of dust is dead, but that spirit is still living because of Christ. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Implying that if you're killed on this earth or you die on this earth, it doesn't matter. Adam, Adam inter, because of his sin, introduced death into the world for humans. And likewise, because of Jesus, Jesus introduced eternal life for us spiritually because of his sacrifice. Paul describes that in order for Adam, which is us, man, to inherit eternal life, that the body must be changed. The corruptible or perishable body must put on incorruptible or imperishable. Going back to the garden, again I ask, if the natural was first, then the spiritual, does that not imply that the tree of life was freely accessible to Adam and Eve? and that they freely ate of the tree of life. So are you saying that they didn't? I'm saying they did. Okay. Because otherwise scripture, interpreting scripture makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that, that's the thing is that again, even without, to get back to whole the whole creation thing, even without a gap theory, like the whole day one, day two gap theory or Genesis one, 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 two gap theory. There's another gap in young earth creation. Yeah. And that's the garden itself. Yeah. I mean, you can't say the earth is only 6,000 years old from creation because the six days of creation are 24 hours and then day seven was 24 hours and then day eight adam and eve fell right like that that's not what the bible implies the bible implies that they were in the garden long enough for adam to literally name every creature on earth and they were in the garden long enough to have a meeting spot with god where they met every day yeah. And I mean, just think about that. Like, God came down to earth and communed with Adam in the natural. Yeah. And then you consider Paul saying that, for, which is first, is natural. 
but the second is spiritual. Again, it's just, it, it's mind boggling. And, and again, we wonder why creation is so important while we're doing this. This is why, because locked within that creation story is quite literally our entire theology and why we need Jesus. I mean, it's, it's impossible to come to the conclusion that, that man somehow did not have access to the tree of life. It's impossible to come to the conclusion that man did not, you know, somehow introduce natural death because of their disobedience based on what Paul said. Yeah. I mean, and I know that some of these things are stuff that I have never thought about. And it's simply because it was very deep. But as usual, we haven't really thought about these things in the way that we're having to think about it to talk in a way, like trying to talk about it in an educated manner. Like it's different, you know, and I really hope that you guys listening to this are really picking up on that. Like we don't want to be one of those podcasts that confirm what you've always known because that doesn't do anyone any good. Like I I can create a feedback loop and I can give you all the stuff to amen and not actually help you. We can do that. We won't help ourselves and we won't help you, Yeah, but we could do that, but we don't want to, we want to actually grow and we want to put out there tools and we want to put out there things that make you really think and make you really engage and make us really engage with God's word and with the world around us. Like what is real? What is actually in God's word? What is God really saying to us and why? And and it's so important to really get to that, to what God gave us. Yeah. Because so often we accept the kiddie pool theology. I don't want the kiddie pool. I want the deep end. Yeah. You know, I want all of it. I want the whole thing. Like I, I, I don't want to live the rest of my life in the kiddie pool. And I refuse to. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean that we take shortcuts and that we, you know, just look to confirm what we think. The only way to actually get deeper is the same way that you make your body stronger. If all you ever do is exercise in ways that supports what you're already doing, you're not actually getting stronger. The way that you get stronger is through resistance. It's through the scientific method. It's literally proving everything that you think false or trying to. And taking the things that you can't disprove as fact. Yeah. And what do you get then? What's your theology then? I know God is real because I know him. I know God is real because I've seen things that I cannot explain. And I know God is responsible because that God that I have seen and witnessed and cannot explain confirms to me that he is responsible for everything. Yeah. Man. And that is what these passages are telling us. And when we try to put them in a box, we just hurt ourselves and we hurt other people. Yeah. I mean, there's there's too many people out there de- going through spiritual deconstruction right now. And I, I told Larry and I've told several other people, I went through that same process. I know how intense it is and I know how scary it is to question your foundation mm-hmm. I mean I may there are people out there that are going to come out on the other side of spiritual deconstruction as unbelievers that's reality and you know if, if we can get just one or two people to see the that the Bible is true and what it's saying is, God, our creator, loves us so much that 
he was he he would not withhold his only son and he wanted to to fix that gap that's between creation and him so badly that he was willing to robe himself in flesh come die on a cross and rise from the dead and give us access to eternal life through his son i mean that's that's incredible stuff and again it's all locked within creation yes and and i I won't even say it's locked it's all there freely you just gotta study but next week we're gonna look at the fall and that'll be so much fun theology and a whole lot less science so i'm excited because this is it's literally one of my favorite stories it's probably the thing i've preached the most out of any bible story um and it's not even close i mean i've preached preached this dozens of times because i can't tell the story without preaching and so next week you are in for some some theological theology that is good stuff so um it's going to be a very different experience in this week which is good because you know what if we always have the same plate of food, it's going to get boring, you know? So join us next week, next Wednesday, same place, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, We talk about the fall of man and what that means. Thank you.